0: brother uh, let's welcome dr. Bob Gladstone again to this place thanks, man. Appreciate you. let's all hear it for Jeff everybody thanks that's right um, I am one of the board members of fire school and I was reminded of that when Jeff just announced it so <laughs> I'm serious I totally forgot um, but and then secondarily I'm a friend first I'm a board member so I'm going to speak as a board member tonight no yeah, um, uh, wonderful to be with you. It was extremely gracious of me to stay this extra day. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't even, you know, once, you know, it was uh, it, uh, once I felt it was really something the Lord wanted me to do. I just did it happily, and I do need to say that um, I really appreciate your inviting me into your family. I know that uh, that's something that's, I believe. Given by the Lord as it is, you know, the spirit has connected us and yet there's such a a warm partnership with the spirit on on your behalf to receive me and and just love on me and appreciate uh, what we're doing there in Charlotte also. So I wanted to thank you for that, let you know that I don't take that for granted. Amen. You can turn to Romans chapter one because I'm going to start there tonight. And wondered if. Um, I mean, it's great if you guys, it's better that you see me clearly. However, if there's any way to take out the spotlights from beaming into my eyes, that would be pretty awesome. Is there any way to lower that or is it just move forward? Is it okay if I do that? Yeah, that's a little better, maybe a little more. I not want to scratch the floor. Okay, I think I'm pretty good. The Spirit of God is the Spirit of Sonship. It's one of the dimensions or names of the Holy Spirit. And I really, you know, I really feel the Spirit in your midst. There's a Spirit of Sonship here. There's a Spirit of family and relationship. And I really appreciate that about you guys. I feel like you've come into something and probably brought a bunch of it into this work from your own, your backgrounds and your own growth in the Lord. But there's there's a, there's a few things I want to say about that tonight in a roundabout way. There's a message I preach to our folks, and I'm, I'm going to preach basically the same message. I mean, it's the same themes and points, but it always comes out differently. But I, I, I have to tell you that it's not that I'm just repeating a message. I feel like the Lord's saying the same thing to you guys, perhaps with some variations, but... The the same things. And um, I I actually titled the message uh, at home. And so I'm going to let you know the title. And the title is Establish It. And it's the title of the message, but I also believe it's what the Spirit is saying to you Establish It. A couple of weeks ago, I was up through the night. I went to bed as normal. There was nothing particularly spiritual going on. I'm just laying there trying to fall asleep, waiting to fall asleep or whatever. And rather randomly at first, gently, but then with a little bit more force and determination, the Lord just was pouring into my spirit a a deeper understanding and better grasp of the kingdom and His desire, His purpose, His eternal purpose, and what that means for us in Charlotte, and therefore now what I believe it means for you guys. And the only thing I could really say back to the Lord, was it it was a simple sentence, a prayer that consists of two words, establish it. And I would just pray that, whispering so as not to keep my wife up which I failed in that even having moved my little prayer meeting from the bed to the bathroom closet if I'm going to keep her up I might as well have just stay in the bed and been comfortable but no there I was laying on the shoes and hangers and whatnot saying with my Bible in front of me establish it establish it establish it establish it establish it and I feel that the Spirit is speaking that over you tonight. It's both his prayer to the Father and his directive to you prophetically. Establish it. Establish it. Establish it. So, that's my introduction. Let's pray. Then we'll look at the text, okay? Abba, Father, we love you with all of our hearts. We thank you for the spirit of sonship given to us through your Son, our Lord and King, Jesus. The Spirit who cries out from within us, Abba, Father. And the Spirit uh, in partnership with, we say, ourselves, Abba, Father. Abba, Father, we love you with all of our hearts. You are our Father. All of the families in heaven and earth derive their name from you. and We are so privileged to be counted among your children and to be uh, brought together, to be gelled together as a local expression of your larger family. We thank you for the name you've put on us that goes much deeper than cross culture. There's a name that names this congregation that belongs to the city of Chicago. And we're so proud to be your children and to bear that name, the Church of Jesus Christ in Chicago. And we thank you that we're a part of your family, that the spirit of family is here because the spirit of God is here. We thank you for that. We thank you for this wonderful covenant that is family and wraps us together, bundles us together in the land of the living. We thank you for that. We thank you for the cross, the the blood of Jesus that saves us and makes all things new. And then the spirit who comes to us in companionship with that work of redemption, the, the, the second of the dual moments of God, cross and Pentecost, by which we have the new covenant burning in our hearts and love for you and love for one another and you in our midst. We thank you for this new covenant. We pray that you'll give us new insight into it that is practical. The secret of the Lord is for those who fear him and he will make them know his covenant. Father, I give myself to you before I speak. I ask in prayer in my own weakness that you will. Uh, strengthen me for the sake of your name and for the sake of these people, that I might not fall short of your will to deliver a a meal, the king's food, to your people, that I might not go beyond it, but for their sake, Lord, I pray that you will meet us together so that we might be mutually encouraged, but also that something might be imparted that you intend. Lord, this is in the spirit. Uh, We may we may we may feel it translated a a bit or more than a bit into the natural. I, I pray that we would just be overcome with the sensations of the spirit. But even if we don't, I believe this is going to happen. So I ask you that it shall happen, that you will grant us all the impartation of your spirit so that we might really leave here different, not just hyped up, but different that something might be deposited and would therefore create more of the image of Jesus in us, not just as individuals, but as a local family that bears the name of Father God here in this region. And so we pray, therefore, for that spirit of wisdom and revelation to give us deep contact with your purposes, your will, your word for us here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So Romans chapter 1, we'll just begin in verse 1 <clears throat> look a little bit here and mosey on down from verse 1 to the key verse that will set us uh, you know, further on our way and, and help determine, define our theme. Romans 1, Paul, a bondservant of the Messiah Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God which He promised beforehand through His prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning His Son, who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead according to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus, the Messiah King, our Lord." through whom we've received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his namesake, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ to all who are beloved of God in Rome, called saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus the Messiah King. Now before we read on, I just want to pause and point out a little bit of where Paul's coming from here, at least the best to which I understand it. Um, I'm immediately arrested in verse 1 when he refers to Jesus as Messiah Jesus, which is common for Paul. Because the, the word Messiah it refers to the King of Israel. That, that's what Paul's saying. This is the King of Israel. Immediately we are confronted with kingdom language. The good news... To give you a really super summary of it, too much to define it you know, exhaustively, but enough to hang our hat on, the, the good news is that God's kingdom has come near. God, I believe, well, we'll get to that, but God is into establishing his kingdom, and his kingdom means liberation for his people, and then joining him. The gospel is the announcement of the presence of the kingdom. Far more than that, but that's where we're starting. The gospel is about the kingdom. So immediately in the letter, when Paul's even identifying himself, a bondservant, he mentions the king. And then as he goes on, clearly you read it, he's his son, which speaks of family, but it also speaks of kingdom. The idea of family is kingdom to God. The word son from the Old Testament was a reference to Israel as God's child, but really it was a reference also and more so to the king. The king was adopted as God's son in Psalm 2. And then if that's not clear enough, you know, he's the son of David. The promise was that a son of David in verse 3 would sit on the throne of Israel. And, and Paul is saying to a Roman church. And this is making a lot of puffy sounds. Is that Okay. I'm all right with it, but we need to do anything about that? Okay. He's speaking to a community that consists of both Jews and Gentiles, but certainly there are Gentiles there. He's in the capital city of the Roman Empire, and he's referring to the fact that the king of Israel has come, has taken his throne, and is now therefore the lord of the nations. Because the one who was established as the king of Israel is authorized by God, intended by God, to be the Lord of all nations. And that is the good news. He's taken his throne. And so even though the whole nation of Israel did not receive her mandate voluntarily, there was a remnant who received the mandate to then go to the nations and announce, guess what? It's happened. Our king has taken his throne, which means now you can know your lord of the All these nations. And we're the ones who are sent out at first to go tell everyone. And then, of course, as Gentiles get saved, anybody who's called in the Lord is on the same footing in this great kingdom. And we're all authorized and empowered and encouraged to go tell everybody else about it. The point is this. The gospel is about the kingdom breaking in and coming. The second thing I want to say about this passage. I mean, it's all gospel here so far it's all gospel all the way, is that Paul addresses the beloved of God in Rome in verse 7 and calls them saints. Now, it's, it's Paul's practice to refer to the church of a city, like I did when I started preaching. Even in 1 Corinthians where Paul has a long introduction Like he does in Romans. There's long introductions and even longer about the identity of the saints in 1 Corinthians. He does something very similar, called saints in 1 Corinthians. Here he says, called saints in Romans. And you're like, so what? Well, here's the point. Even though they're called saints in 1 Corinthians, he calls them. You're identified as holy ones. He still identifies them as the church and the city. But he doesn't mention church here in Romans 1. It's not because the church isn't there, because wherever God's people are, there's the church. But I believe Paul is consciously avoiding the term at this point, not because they're not the church, but because something's going on that causes him to back off the use of that term at this point. He'll use it later. It refers to churches in Rome. So I don't want to make too big of a deal about this, but something's happening there that I believe for our purposes should give us pause here. Not that I have to stop speaking for a moment, but I guess I did for a dramatic effect, (laughs) So verse 8, now he gets into his prayer. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. Now, I'm pausing again here, if you don't mind, to speak. Um, When Paul says he thanks God for them, he really does pray about them. He's thankful. This is not just rhetoric. He's serious. He's reflecting his life and his practice. He's really grateful for the romans who believe because they they are followers of jesus and so great is their faith that it's being shed abroad shed abroad it's being announced everywhere and it's encouraging to others there probably was a measure of persecution in rome you know jews were all kicked out whatever it was a decade earlier and then you know because of roman persecution against the jews and then when a bunch of Jews came back, a bunch of them were believers, and there were Gentile believers already in Rome, and so they came in and they got all mixed together. And so here's this mixture of different backgrounds and customs and probably some persecution, other problems within the church. But these these Roman believers are standing strong, so their faith is being announced outside of the city to encourage other believers. So Paul's genuinely grateful. You see what I'm saying? He's praying with passion. This, this is not just religious rhetoric. I thank my God for all of you. I'm supposed to say this. It's the Bible. He's passionate. In fact, it gets thicker here. Because in verse 9, For God whom I serve in my spirit in the Gospel of His Son is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you. Alright, so does that make it more vivid for you? Paul is obsessed with the Gospel. And as such, like all the other churches, he says, are always on his mind. I'm constantly making mention of you Roman believers in my prayers. Constantly. You are always on my mind. And that's before the song. You are always on my mind. Always, 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 always. So I'm constantly praying for you. That's powerful. And it's passionate. Alright? So we're we're building somewhere. They're always on His mind. Now, let's let's make note of this. Paul planted no church in Rome. He's seeking to visit them for the first time. These churches or believers were probably there. I mean, at Pentecost, there were Jews from Rome. Now that they've made their way back, they're adding to the Christianity there. Tradition tells us Peter was there in preaching. Tradition says that Mark's Gospel reflects Peter's preaching. Probably in Rome. So there was other apostles, the spreading influence. There's the existence of saints and famous Christian witness in Rome. But Paul has not planted the church there. But he's constantly making mention of them. Why is that? Well, there's two reasons that I perceive. Number one... Because Rome is the capital city of the world at this point. This is the Rome of the Roman Empire. A a strong influence in the world. And Paul's strategic. He plants churches in places like Corinth and in Philippi and Thessalonica. And so surely Rome is important, right? If those saints get it with their global influence, baby then the kingdom is going to get some seriously good press and continue to infect the world with its holy contagion, the holy infection, the, the leavening of the lump. So he wants Rome good and strong. And that gets to our second reason why he would be praying for the Romans that we will get to as we continue to read this text. At the end of verse 9, we find out that he's unceasingly mentioning the Romans in his prayers. And in verse 10, he tells us why. Always, okay, there's always, before it was unceasingly, now it's always, you get the idea. Always in my prayers making request, if perhaps now, at last, by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. I'm praying constantly for you, I need you to be strong, which means Paul becomes conscious that he is carrying something that they need. So he's not just praying for them. His prayers are not that abstract. God bless him, fill him with the Spirit. I'm praying according to Colossians chapter 1 that they be filled with the knowledge, the, the, the Spirit, the, the, with all spiritual wisdom and understanding to know the knowledge of your will and all of this. He's not just praying for them. What they need, he realizes he carries. So his prayer is not that they would be blessed with all this strength and insight. His prayer for them is that he would be able to come to them. Why? At the end of verse 10, I, I, I'm always praying that I would finally get to, to be among you. Why? In verse 11, for I long to see you so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you so that you may be established. And then he knows good and well that he'll be blessed too, so he qualifies it. He's not the hero. In verse 12, only, you know, he's not the thing. He's, he knows good and well that their faith will charge him up. He knows that. He's testified to it. Verse 12, that is, that I may be encouraged together with you, while among you, each of us, by the other's faith, both yours and mine. But he knows good and well the kind of encouragement that he's going to give them is going to go beyond encouragement It's going to bring about the creative force of God in their midst to give them something they are presently missing. What am I getting at? This is my claim. Paul knows that the saints in Rome are awesome and they're famous, but in some way they're not yet established. And he can't put up that he's an apostle. It doesn't matter to him who planted the church. We need things established in cities. They have to be established. So things can exist without being established. Right? The dove can fly over the waters without landing. It can happen. So Paul's like, we can't have this. I'm telling you, I'm passionately praying like like flames constantly burning and blazing. Praying, God, let me get to them. I know I carry the mystery of the gospel in an unusual way. And it's all for you and it's all for them. Please get me to Rome. Because there's, they're not established and I know that I can impart something to them that will establish them. The word there that Paul uses, it's a Greek word, that's sterizo. To establish, that's what it means. The word means to fix firmly in place. To set up. To establish. To support. To cause to be inwardly firm or committed. To be strengthened in the sense that it's set in place and it won't move. Paul said you're great saints, but you're not established the end of his speech in first corinthians he says therefore my beloved brethren be steadfast immovable always abounding in the work of the lord knowing that your labor in the lord is not in vain he says same types of things elsewhere in in colossians that, that you might be established he's or that you might be steadfast he's not just talking about hanging their kids don't be tempted He's saying, be a temple that's founded and is not moving there. It's interesting that the same word is used of Jesus when he sets his face in Luke chapter 9 toward Jerusalem. It's the same word. And of course, the real idea is that he's resolved to get to Jerusalem. So he's not, he's not established in a certain location because actually he's itinerant and he's traveling. But his goal is established and nothing will get him off that goal. And ironically, interestingly, I'll say it, it's Jerusalem, the city of the king. That, that's his goal. It was his goal during his ministry to get to that city. Why? Because that's when the kingdom was going to come through his death. And he was after that, so he established his face to Jerusalem. Man, talk about resolve. You establish your face to Jerusalem. And anything to get him off that course, it's like, I'm a rock when it comes to this. I've got to get there. And you'll know why later. He tells Peter, after, you know, after Peter gets restored, he says, when you get restored, establish your brothers. Don't just strengthen them. Okay, everything that we've taught you, everything that I've taught you, everything that we've been working for, okay, you help them make that the final issue of their lives. We all got all this training, all this Holy Ghost. That's all great. And if you don't ever get established, there'll be lots of benefits because of that. But that's not the goal. The goal is Jerusalem. The goal is to establish what we've been working on. I believe that's why Paul did not use the word church yet. Not because they really weren't, but because he was going to back off that word. Because it it carried the idea of being established And they're not quite there yet. Now, I mean, I know that there were also saints throughout the city, physically and geographically. It wasn't necessarily possible to all meet together. But that's not the point. In spirit and in their relationships. They were not established. So he couldn't throw the label out quite yet. Church. The role of an apostle is to establish the church. Especially one like Paul, who carried the the knowledge of the mystery. What do I mean by that? Paul knew with great clarity what God was up to. What he was after. Like Jesus knew he had to get to Jerusalem. And nothing was going to get him off that. And lots of awesome things were going to happen on the way to Jerusalem. But I know the plan of God. I've got to get in that city. I have to make my pronouncements, confront the leaders, and then be crucified. That is what I'm here for. An apostle like Paul understands what God is after in the same manner. And they itch until those things are done. And all the awesome things done along the way, miracles and people getting saved, people getting filled with the Spirit, and all kinds of witnessing and wonderful testimonies. All those things are awesome. But that, it, 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 that doesn't quite scratch the itch that Paul has to accomplish the purpose of God on the earth. Does that make sense? Even though I'm going to fill in the blanks later of exactly what I'm talking about, I at least want you to get in the rhythm of my thinking and what I think Paul is after. It's like, all this is awesome. I, I, I mean, I, I commend you for so many things he says going on in Rome. But there's something I, that if, if I see it's not done, I don't rest at night until it gets done. It's kind of like a spiritual OCD. Is that what it is, OCD, obsessive compulsive? Like I'm not saying Paul was obsessive compulsive, but he does say, you know, the daily burden of the churches is on my heart. Their, their, their well-being and whether or not they become houses of God, temples in their city. It's constantly on his heart because he knows what God wants. He knows the mystery. He knows God's plan over all. And he's committed to that. And if he doesn't see it happening, he's going to unleash what he has to, to make it happen. So you hear how much he prays for the Romans. And then look at the size of the letter he writes. Look at the pains that he takes to communicate with them. If for the outside chance he can't make it and certainly to set him up, set them up for his visit. To give them a long explanation of what he's going to come and grant them with with greater clarity and model it for them, because that's what an apostle does. The gospel is what will establish them. And there were elements of the gospel that they did not grasp. And so the house of God that they constituted was loosely put together, if put together at all. This is what we read about later in the letter. These Jews, these Messianic Jews that came back to the city, they have they, received their Messiah and frankly they understand some bit about grace. It's not like they're just a bunch of legalists and Paul had to teach him about grace. There was some understanding about grace, but they were Jews. And the Gentiles were Gentiles and they were different. And how could they blend together? These guys are like, man, you're not covenant. Circumcision, kosher, these customs. And the Gentiles are like, we don't have to do all that. Well, the morality we agree on. And they just weren't really coming together. Paul's encouraging them later in chapter 15. One voice, one accord. That you'd have one purpose, so that you might glorify God with one voice. That wasn't happening. They weren't finding in one another real family. They were letting the customs divide them. Instead of realizing the gospel has done something deeper that should bring them together. And so what does Paul do? He, he unfolds his gospel so that it might establish that community that was divided and loose in its relationships. If you could even say loose. And because it was that way, they weren't established. Oh, I just wish you'd get along. You know, it's a little more important than that. If you guys aren't connected the right way, it means you don't understand the gospel. And the gospel's about the kingdom. So you're lacking authority if there's not the kind of unity that God creates in the gospel. You are missing something. You're not established. And if you're not established, the kingdom is not established. And if the kingdom is not established, then you'll have some success on a certain level. But you won't have that towering authority of the Lord staked right in the middle of Rome. Affecting the power of the air that rules that city. This is important. I'm longing to be with you. Unceasingly do I pray, always, that I might come to you finally and establish you. You see the importance of this? So, l- let me give you a key premise that I work from. Alright? Let's, l- let's, let's consider just for a few moments. God's overall purpose... In history and in the age to come. This is fairly important. God's overall purpose. The thing He's doing in which everything else fits. Why we pray, why we witness, why we plant churches, why we make disciples, why we have missions and go places across the street or the Atlantic or the Pacific or whatever. Why we have teaching, why we have preaching. Why we want to see people grow and want to bind them together in Holy Spirit relationships. Why is all that? Because God's up to something and it's more than just getting some people saved so they're not going to hell. That's a glorious thing. No one mocks that or diminishes the importance of that. That's you know, that's life from the dead. But that belongs to a larger purpose. And the larger purpose is this. God's goal is to establish his kingdom. On the earth. That's the eternal purpose of God. That's one way of maybe a bunch, a small bunch of ways of saying it. He says it in Ephesians the summing up of all things in Christ, the King. It is in heaven this way. That's why David, or the the psalmist in Psalm 119, forever, O Lord, Your word is settled in heaven. But the earth is a rebellious domain. And God created the earth so that his children, his temple, his bride, could share his rule in that domain and integrate heaven and earth in full renewal. And one day that will happen. But in the meantime, there's been rebellion. So you know what the plan God stuck with when he was promised his son as a sacrifice and then sent him. He was sticking with his original plan. I want that earth as my dominion. And the way I've chosen to rule that earth is through the humanity that I create, the head of which is my son. And then his people will co-govern that universe, that, that earth, and that's how what will integrate the entire universe. <laughs> the way God rules the earth is through his son and his son's bride. That's the way he establishes his rule on the earth. That's what he's after. And one day it will happen physically and politically. Let's look at a few verses here about that. Uh, I'm, I'm turning to Isaiah chapter 2. Isaiah 2. The first few verses. It's so amazing that a prophet that's helping to warn a nation about coming judgment, exile is coming, but then promising their return from exile. But, you know, because God's kingdom on on earth is tied in with his people, when a prophet prophesies that they're going to return to the land, he sees the larger picture. Why will they return to the land? Because someday God intends to rule the whole earth through his son and his people. So when he's just prophesying about the return from exile, he can't help but see the bigger picture.
1: (gasps) One day.
0: His kingdom will consume the globe. You see. The word which Isaiah, the son of Amot, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Now it will come about in the last days. The mountain. The mountain. Of the house of Yahweh will be established as the chief of the mountains and will be raised above the hills and all the nations will stream to it. You hear that established as the chief, the mountain is the metaphor for kingdom. So that one mountain will be the chief mountain and it will be above the hills, meaning it will have dominion over all the other governments. And all the nations will stream to it. It will not just be for Jews. It will be global. That's the whole point of Israel is to open the door to the nations. One nation for the rest. That's why they're special. Because they open the door to the rest of us. Did you know that? God chose Israel because he loves all the nations. So he needed one to be his own. Right? I thought I'd slip that in there. Verse 3. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let's go up to the mountain of Yahweh. It will be established on the earth to the house of Jacob that he may teach us concerning his ways and that we might walk in his paths. For the law will go forth from Zion and the word of Yahweh from Jerusalem. Let's look at a few verses in um, Revelation. Go to Revelation 21. Revelation 21. This is now the purpose of God being accomplished at the end of the age. And what will that look like? The city of the king coming down from heaven to earth. You know what I'm getting at? If I could just fast forward to a second, kind of for a second, tip my hand and then come back. God wants his city established on the earth now in some fashion. Not politically politically. But in some way, God's ultimate goal is to physically and politically as well as spiritually have his city on the earth and ruling the entire earth. But now we fit into that purpose in some fashion. We bring God's government in the spirit to the earth. We bring it. But God's goal in history is to establish it, and therefore it must be our goal in our city to establish it. You see, I'm I'm giving you, in a sense, I'm giving you kind of your your purpose, even though you already had it instinctively. I think the Lord had to add to it. I think it's one of the points of my visit is to share this with you, that He's giving you the assignment, not just to show His kingdom, but to establish it. That's your assignment. That's God's overall purpose. That's the only, guys, it's Jerusalem. It's the only thing he's up to. It's the only thing. History will be ended when he does it fully. But in every stage of history, he gives manifestations of his ultimate purpose. Did you know that? Did you hear me? Every generation or every larger segment of history, God is looking to establish his kingdom on the earth to some degree. And the degrees go up. It went up very high when Jesus came. Now you have a new covenant people with the Spirit. Man, that's as extreme as it gets before Jesus comes back. Except what they accomplish while here, which ends with the salvation of Israel. Then you're right at the door. Once that happens, the, the, the pregnancy turns into birth. And the kingdom comes physically down to heaven. Uh, from heaven to earth, excuse me. And even at creation, when God created the earth. Or at least he took the primordial waters that were chaotic and and, and, and did something with all that, bringing light and life and separating the waters. He was establishing his kingdom through creation in some way. That's why the seventh day is holy. That's why God himself rested on the seventh day. It wasn't because he was tired. It was because rest is a symbol of entering the temple. The king taking residence in his creation. Rest and, you know, Moses would pray, arise to your rest. When we when we bring the ark down, you're going to sit back on your throne after fighting and enter your rest. It's where the kingdom is established. So the Sabbath was telling us that in some way God was going to abide among his creation because there was a sanctuary in time in the Sabbath, for God to rest in. He wasn't tired. He was taking his throne. That's temple language. His first general temple is creation. It's meant for him to tread upon the high places and to walk on the water. He loved it when he was here. That's why nothing... There are greater manifestations of God's presence now, aren't there, inside of us? That's a huge accomplishment. But that doesn't negate his desire still. He manifests himself in space sometimes. I mean, like in physical space, which is cool. Now, it's greater that he's inside of us, but I still like it when the wind just blows through the room, like the first stage of the Spirit in Pentecost. God loves to come down inside creation. Some of the guys nowadays, they teach about grace, like, God's already inside of you. Don't pray for him to come more. Don't do that. It's like, well, I don't like people to misunderstand how great Christ is in us. That should be established. But God still likes to manifest his presence in a room. It's still okay to talk to him and ask him to do that. I don't see the problem with that. He's a person. He's not a machine. Anyway, the, the, the kingdom came in a greater way when God established Israel and then, then uh, made his residence in the tabernacle and in the temple. There was a greater establishment of the kingdom. And then it became greater when Jesus came fulfilling the scriptures. God himself is now here in the flesh. And the Spirit of God abided inside of Jesus. He was the tabernacle. The kingdom was on the earth again. It wasn't, it wasn't spreading far into all these new covenant believers yet. He, Jesus hadn't died yet. But man, he was here on the earth. And then when the Spirit was poured out upon new covenant believers, the kingdom was established all the more. And that's the stage we're in now, till Jesus comes again and establishes it all the more. Which some believe is in a literal millennium, when He will rule this old earth for a long season. And then after that, if the millennium is literal, after that, He will consume everything, and so every progressive stage finally comes to its climax. In the meantime, we should accomplish our version of establishing the kingdom and it has to do with the way we constitute the church and then spread its mission. So, okay, looking at the overall picture here, in verse 1, Revelation 21, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth passed away, and there's no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. See that? Coming down. New Jerusalem, coming down, made ready as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. You see that? I mean, it's already that way. First in Jesus and then in the church. But here it's coming down even more. The tabernacle of God is among men. And he will dwell among them and they shall be his people and God himself will be among them, which is an allusion to what? What is he referencing there? He will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. Anybody know? What's that? The garden is is a metaphor for this. It happened there. But the language he's using is language for what? Hmm? Covenant. He's fulfilling, at the center of the kingdom is a covenant. He promised them. And it's happened to some degree every generation, every segment of history. I'll be among you. I will be your God. You will be my people. This is when it comes to pass totally. The covenant is fulfilled. Very interesting. He'll wipe away every tear in verse 4. No more crying or death or pain. I'm making all things new. It's done in verse 6. It's done. We move down to verse 10. He carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Here it is. Heaven's kingdom coming down. The city's coming down. It has the glory of God. Her brilliance was like a very costly stone, as a stone of crystal clear jasper. And then he goes into these glorious and beautiful descriptions. A great and high wall, twelve gates, angels. The twelve tribes' names of the sons of Israel. Three three gates east, west, north, south. Verse 14, 12 foundation stones. In verse 15, it's measured. He goes on, I mean, verse 19, precious stones in the what? The walls? Foundation stones, a city wall adorned with jasper, sapphire. What's he referring to? He's referring to something that's, that's physical. The kingdom is being established with this vivid imagery. This isn't just some mystical spiritual experience. It has a reference point to something physical someday, which gives us now something to sink our teeth into so we can think in this city. Establish it. Build a city here. Will it influence actual structures? Will we have buildings and a little a little city of our own? Well, maybe, maybe not that will pan out. That's not the heart and soul. But wherever wherever it affects, great with me. Let it incarnate itself. But our point is, we have to build something that has its own identity and its own culture. Establish it. Pearls in verse 21. There's no temple in verse 22. The Lord God and the Lamb are the temple. Sun or moon won't need to shine. The glory of God will illuminate it. That's because it's established. And then verse 24, the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. So the garden at the beginning becomes a city at the end in the midst of a garden. Praise God. This is the meaning of the Lord's prayer. This is why he assigned this prayer. He wants it written on our hearts so we understand it and burn for it. But this is the language he gave us. Your name let it be sanctified. Your kingdom let it come. Your will let it be done on, on earth just as it is in heaven. You see, that's our mission. What's going to happen at the end of the age is in a mode now that we have to respect and establish. We are given to establish the kingdom the same way we saw Jesus do it in the Gospels and the apostles do it in Acts. And then the apostles do it in the epistles. When the church is established, the kingdom is established. That's why Paul longed to establish the church in Rome, so that he could establish the kingdom, because that's his greater goal. Come on now. Shoo! Only when the kingdom is established in the church of a city, Will that have? Will, will that church have the kind of authority in that city to supersede the spiritual authority over that city? In the meantime, all kinds of good stuff can happen and all kinds of demons can be cast out of people and miracles and people saved. But when the church congeals, when it gels together and it is established, the kingdom is established, and now you have something by default that confronts the greater power of the air. And defeats its influence over a city. You're saying, well, just the city will totally get saved and everything will be perfect. No, there may be more persecution than before. Because those things get dropped down to the ground and then attack. There may be more oppression. There may be more persecution. But there will also be more success in kingdom work. It will slide. I mean, some of, the, some, of the, some of the most successful kingdom missions are in very hostile territory and persecuted situations but it's still spreading like wildfire. Other times when the kingdom gets established, it moves into human structures sometimes. It just is what it is. It depends on what people are after. But the church has to be established either way to establish the kingdom so the power of the air is not the main influence. And the next thing you know, you're either loved every time you preach or you're hated every time you preach, but you're never ignored. There's always power. There's always something happening. Man. How do we do that? It ain't by just standing up and saying, let's bind the power over the city. It's like, well, if you don't have something established below when you do that, uh, I wouldn't do that. The greater spiritual warfare is happening in my relationship successfully. I have spiritual warfare successfully at the foundation. When I have my relationship with God is right and my relationships right here are right. When that's now, I mean, I'm saying it lightly now, but when that's all right, man, you have established the kingdom. So we got to go deeper than not fighting. I submit that what I'm describing right now is the highest, greatest, most powerful expression of God's kingdom on the earth in the present age. When the church embodies the established kingdom in its midst as a genuine family on mission. This is why the church, quote-unquote, is so important to me personally. It's not because I'm nitpicky and I want to be unconventional and I want to complain about the, the, the system and the conventional church. I have no interest in that. Nor do I just want to do the house church thing. Like I just want to do that because I like relationships and I want to talk about how we do it better than the other guys. I couldn't care less about that. My burning goal is the establishment of the kingdom, and I know that that's tied up in the church. And that's what I'm after, and that's what you should be after too. And indeed you are. I'm just pushing in an installment of all the more. This is because the church is the only vehicle of the kingdom of God on earth right now. And I, when I say vehicle, I mean it's the spirit who brings it, but it's the church that embodies and expresses it. And if we choose not to establish, then it won't be established. At least not in us. It will be by others, but it's always got to be through somebody. Somebody. If the church is not established, the kingdom is not established. So another key premise that I work with is this. It is possible to demonstrate the kingdom without establishing the kingdom. And to me, that's very important. It is possible to demonstrate the kingdom without establishing the kingdom. It's very possible. And in fact, we're going to do that. In fact, we should do that at times, not because it's not our goal to establish it, but because God is generous, generous, generous. Jesus demonstrated the kingdom all the time, but it was not always established through his ministry. I mean, it did accomplish its goal, but the parts that were left up to other people didn't always happen, right? Ten lepers healed. That's ten demonstrations of the kingdom. One returns in a symbol of covenant. Thank you, Lord. Something just got established, right? This is my other premise. What establishes the kingdom is covenant. It's the only thing. You live covenant with the Lord, you have establishment in your soul of the kingdom. You live in covenant with God's people, now your church establishes the kingdom. I don't care how big the church is if they're not in family relationships, which is covenant, natural covenant. They haven't established anything. They demonstrate every Sunday and that's it. Greet one another. Oh, boy. I mean, that's good. But if we don't overcome the obstacles that keep us from being covenant family, we're not overcoming demonic strongholds that are set against the kingdom in that city. The demons are sitting there saying, look, we know we can't beat God, but if the way God gels his kingdom in a city is by them coming into covenant relationship with one another, then we'll just keep them from doing that. Then you have the other extreme where people try so hard to do that out of anger that they develop cults that doesn't establish the kingdom either. What we want is healthy covenant relationships, man. See, the church is that, and that's what establishes the kingdom. So Paul, Paul says to the Romans, you don't have that, so I need to come bring it. And then you read through Romans, and sure enough, there's all kinds of criticizing and judging over the two sides of the fence between Jews and Gentiles, right? It's like you guys aren't getting it. Don't you read, Paul says, what's now he's writing it, Romans 6 through 8, you have a covenant with God that's dynamic and powerful, that has overcome the customs of kosher and circumcision and honoring certain days and all of that, though you don't have to stop doing that. But that shouldn't determine your family. If you let that determine your family, the the kingdom doesn't exist in Rome as something established. But you'll demonstrate it and there'll be plenty of, lots of fruit from that. But will you do something significant and and challenge the the demonic throne? What does he say in Romans 16? The God of peace, which to me speaks of social as well as spiritual harmony. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. This is what he's talking about. Not just a general principle. Be encouraged, though you can take that as a general principle. I'm sure there's plenty of people here that God, or at least plenty of people in the church, God has spoken that verse to, you're going to have victory soon. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. What he's talking about is when you're established as a community, you'll be able to address that demonic majesty in the air. Without even consciously addressing them, and just do the work. And it's a good thing you'll be in covenant relationships, because once that happens, you're going to need one another in a greater way than you ever have. And I'm, I'm not joking when I say this. I'm being fully honest and candid with you. This makes me, in my natural man, if I can confess my weaknesses, this intimidates me. I pray, now that God's downloaded this, I'm like, okay, my, my spirit is saying, yeah! And my flesh is saying, oh, man. Like this, is, I've already had something visit me in the night that made me about go crazy. I thought I was going to be wounded for life, having this demonic confrontation. Other people that I know that are stepping into this, they're like, we are constantly experiencing breakthrough. We are constantly establishing churches, and we are constantly under pressure. Constantly feeling confronted by these powers while constantly feeling God's presence and seeing the fruit of it. Jesus demonstrates the kingdom when he heals Peter's mother-in-law. And then implicitly a covenant is made when she rises up and serves him. Ah, established in this house, the kingdom. That's why Jesus instructed his missionaries. Don't just bop around from house to house. When you get in a, when you get in a village, find one house. if, the, if, if, find a son of peace. Someone worthy who will bring you in. And then when they bring you in, if you once you demonstrate the kingdom in word and deed, and they really bring you in, you're established in that city as a mission post. Because they've received you so implicitly that now there's been a, a, a treaty struck with God. Now you have a base to reach that city. Everything is in... is that Jesus instructed is in terms of establishing the kingdom and from there establishing more. What was the first demonstration of establishment when Jesus, he uses the terminology, the kingdom of heaven is drawn near, right? So it's like the word drawn near is elusive. It's like a slippery fish or maybe a slippery sardine. It means the kingdom is present, but not quite all the way. But yes, it's here. The, the language is just elusive. It means here, but not quite all the way here. I think it was, in a sense, all the way here, but that doesn't mean it's automatically established. It, so, what does he say in companionship to the announcement that the kingdom's near? Repent. Turn to the Lord. Restore covenant relationship with him, just like the prophets of old. And then the kingdom that's near, boom, it's in your house. Now, the kingdom demonstration can even, I mean, sometimes it's really strong. It's more than just almost there. I mean, kingdom. Jesus used kingdom terminology like the kingdom of God is coming down on you. So I'm casting out demons. It's always all these expressions of the kingdom. I mean, ask a person, even if they're not saved, the demon came out of them, how they feel now they're going to feel like something happened man the kingdom is present in their life in some way but if they haven't repented it's not established right so it's here it's present it's acting present it's acting it could be like a train blowing through this place and everybody's on their face blown away with refreshment and laughter and healing and and you're for weeks in this building you can't leave but it doesn't automatically mean it's established Revival is when the kingdom's blowing through, more present, with with more potency, being demonstrated and felt and experienced. But that doesn't mean it was established. And I've been there. Where the kingdom rocks the place for years, but never finds foundation in the earth in that place. Man. And everybody's planting churches. Great! Another building goes up, and another place to attend. Just because Christians are in there doing good things, but they're not that wise, not in God's ultimate intentions, and they keep spin and spin and spin. And there's enough good things and enough success. Say, you "Oh, know, God has blessed us," to trick them into thinking it's something's established when it's not. And the city around them is dying in decay. There's all kinds of demonstrations, but where's the establishment? The establishment happens when there's covenant with God and covenant with one another. Man, come on. Jesus renounced the cities of Galilee in which most of his miracles were done because they received the most abundance of Kingdom demonstration, but it says they did not, they did not repent, which is stage one of covenant. They never repented. It's not because Jesus was a hardcore preacher and he just was hard on people. Now people don't even like to preach repentance. They say it's just a change of mind. Yeah, that's the use of the word. Just a change of mind. Great. Yeah, that's right. Repentance, it's behavioral. It's when you turn your life over. It's a change of mind and behavior. It's a whole overhaul. Yeah, that unpacks it better. You know what it really is? It's a turning to the Lord in covenant. I'm yours now in devoted love. That's when you establish the kingdom. And those cities are in ruins to this day in Galilee. You know, Jesus said. When the spirit comes out of a man. It goes through waterless places seeking rest. It's interesting. They have their own version of establishment. And when they don't find any, they go and get seven more spirits worse than itself or really not finding any. They return to their house, find it swept in in order, which is kingdom demonstration. Then they go say, oh, you fixed up my house. But there ain't no king there. So he goes and gets seven worse guys, probably that he's got deals with and he's afraid of. So he says, I got something for you. King Jesus cleaned this house out, but they didn't invite him to stay. So we got more room. And then they come and make that man's situation worse than it was before. And what did Jesus say when he taught that in Matthew? He said, that's the way it will be with this generation. Because the kingdom blew through here like nowhere else in history ever. But you didn't establish it. So if you don't have that kingdom here, something else is going to come rule after I swept it and put it in order. Our assignment is to match the eternal purpose of God in its now version in our city. Establish it, and how do we do that? We cultivate covenant with God and with one another. You know the way God would make covenant; it was through blood. Why was it through blood? Because covenant is a yielding. And God's always the one with the blood first. You know what covenant is? If we could just cut to the chase and not try to give an Old Testament lesson, which right now I'm probably not capable of. You know, nations, the greater with the lesser, making a deal. We provide this for you, you provide this for us, and you ain't going nowhere else. We'll fulfill our part, you fulfill yours. We'll protect you, we'll provide for you. You get. We. You, sometimes you're our slave, sometimes... A mixture, some, you taxed, your taxed, whatever. When God makes a covenant, it's a love relationship that creates family. It's devoted, loyal love. The new covenant actually, look what the new covenant does. When I turn to the Lord to give him my life, I'm yielding to him. I'm saying, I'm yours now. I'm not just becoming a Christian. I'm entering covenant. I'm yours now. I'm your property. I belong to you. Did you hear the words up here before? Every word was covenant. Do you remember? Cling. And what is, what's the illustration? A little girl grabbing onto the leg of the father. Does she understand the mechanics of Covenant? In her mind, she's not thinking, well, I have a covenant with daddy, so I should cling to him. No, covenant in the new covenant, in a family context, which is covenant, that's what covenant is, it's all love. She's keeping covenant, she doesn't even realize it because of the impulse of her heart. It's family. So she clings. That's covenant language. All these psalms talking about, it's all covenant. But the word's not always used because it's deeper than just the word that could be a treaty. That's why the new covenant's written on the heart. It's, it's, it's bought with blood from the inside of Jesus. And then he shares his spirit. I mean, think about this. The spirit inside of him, he puts inside of you. That's a connection that's deep. I keep covenant with my wife. But I don't have to keep reminding myself. I love her. I'm motivated to keep covenant. Now, if for some crazy reason that goes out of my heart, not that it ever will, but the rules are still there. But needless to say, I'm not constantly keeping the rules. Whoa, got to go. Whoa, okay, can't go there. Whoa, okay, I just got to remind myself. No, the love keeps the covenant. That's like the new covenant, but it still keeps the covenant. And then what was the next word that came up with Janelle with the whole Song of Solomon thing? Through tears. I mean, is there any more poignant covenant book? And look at the nature of it. It's all these sensations of. Of, 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 in the senses, in the holy way, the joys and the expressions of love and the deep experience of one another. And that's covenant. It's, you don't have much law there because covenant at its heart is family. It, it, it's loyal devotion to one another. And Paul told the Romans, you ain't got that. You do actually. It's written in here, but it's not happening. So he starts with the individual's. So you have to present your members as instruments of righteousness. To borrow language from another letter, you don't belong to yourselves. You've been bought with a price. Not only that, but God gave you the Spirit. You're in covenant. You have the Spirit. It's you now. So stop doing that and start doing this. Covenant people, recreated people, which is what covenant means now. Woo, Wow. <clears throat> And then on that basis, he says, now, Gentiles and Jews, you've got to get this thing together. You're a new creation. That's the covenant. Start living it out, not just morally, but relationally. Then you will establish the kingdom. Again, he says in chapter 16, to him who's able to establish you according to what? My gospel. The gospel is the announcement that this covenant has been cut. If you enter in, you have it. Now do it, because when you do it, you're established. The kingdom's established. Amen. Covenant is sacrificial love. God give me a prof- t- this teaching with a prophetic word started it started flowing down on a smaller waterfall in august and then it got bigger in september and started to overwhelm me and then in october i started to deliver the message more explicitly <clears throat> and i was you know speaking to our congregation our groups and the lord just gave me a new place among them and my my thing was like look you're free to do whatever you want But I am not starting another church here. We're called to covenant relationships. So you're either in or you're not. And I'm not saying you're not welcome. And if you just want to drop by all the time and that's church to you, we love you enough to serve you. But somebody's got to listen to this and help us establish the kingdom. You're either called to be here together or you're not. And if you're not, then you have a covenant with God that should dictate where you go. But we have to put a stop to the fickle consumer orientation of church or the self-centered I do whatever I want. It's like, "Well, don't tell me and control me. You know what I'm not. I'm announcing something in the spirit. Is the spirit speaking to you? Has the spirit joined you to people or not?" Because he if he has, then you and I need to start living in partnership with that bond. I'm well aware that some people are so busy they could barely keep their head above water. I'm not saying you need to now meet five hours every night. That's not the point. The point is something happening here. So that even if I'm crazy busy and it's going to take me a season for this to gel in a greater practical way, I'm in. And so we've had this upheaval back at home. Some people are just kind of dropping off. But others are saying, oh, excuse me, I'm not sure what's going on. And there's all kinds of things I think you need to do better at King's People. But I'm in. You have me and my family and all my resources. And I said, good, because I'm not apologizing anymore. I'm not not a good marketer. And I'm not clever enough to put things together mechanically to draw people and all that. Or even even to implement most of my vision, I need help doing. Some people ask me, well, what do you do about this? I'm like, I don't know. I need help. But I know what the blueprint says. And I know what I draw and create by being around and speaking but some of the mechanics need to be worked out so when some people sit me down and say look I think we could you know do a little better with the kids and all this I'm like no duh you want to help you in or not cuz I'm not your church staff I'm 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 releasing a covenant family that means that's your job now if you have you see okay this is a little overstated but if you see the need it's like well thank you for signing up cuz I can't do it all that wouldn't be covenant that would be Normal church. (laughs) Sorry. I see covenant language in baptisms. The word covenant isn't even used that much. It doesn't have to be devoted love. To me, baptism is covenant when you're immersed. That's why the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. And then what would they do? They'd get baptized. The whole thing. John standing in the tradition of the prophets as one book says, the covenant enforcers. John's in their tradition and he says, look, you've got to return to the Lord, just like the prophets would say. You've got to return to the Lord. Return to the Lord. To yield fully. Give up whatever it was. Your covenant vi- violations, your law violations, your selfish living, your idolatry, whatever it is. Turn away from all that and turn to him now in covenant relationship. How do we illustrate that? You go down, you're dead. You come up, you're alive to him alone. That's covenant. <clears throat> Paul puts it in reference to circumcision in Colossians. It's like a circumcision. They did that for their covenant. We're doing this for this covenant. Baptism is covenant language to me, but it's dynamic. It's God creating it. It's not people coming on one another and making them do it. Though sometimes there has to be the teaching and the correction. It's like, you know, that, that's, not the way, that's not the way family acts toward one another. Let's get this right. It's what Paul wrote to the Romans. There's places for that. But ultimately, it's the spirit that creates covenant family. That's why it's so healthy. But see, what I was doing was, because I was just kind of getting toward this church plan, even though we were doing stuff, it wasn't time to establish it yet because we were kind of all just getting used to doing something differently than we did. But once it started to gain a little momentum, the Lord said, "Okay, now's the time. Stop just apologizing and floating around with this thing. Establish it. Establish it. There's there's no in or out thing in the sense of, you know, I'm being critical. (laughs) Oh, you're in or out, go out the door. It's like, no, if you want to come in and out and that's the way you want to live your life, you're the one that's going to suffer the loss of that. We're glad to serve you for whatever you open up for. But what we're going to be about is the kingdom, and at the heart of the kingdom is covenant. So I I have three baptisms that I I identify to help us with this. One is, the, the first is the one I've already identified, the baptism in water, which is when we make covenant with God. I encourage you to, to live in covenant with the Lord. But you, you heard, oh, and the next word also with Benny, about the, about the protection of the presence. Right, Benny? Where are you at? Right? To me, that's the way, of course, at that point, I'm reading everything with covenant eyes. But the, you talked about presence and you prayed about presence. That's all covenant. Remember we read from Revelation, my tabernacle, I'm your God, you're my people, and I'm present walking among them. That's covenant language from Leviticus on. So it was all it was all these prophetic words were calling us to covenant. Now, the odd thing is you're not the Romans and unestablished completely. If I see covenant love devotion anywhere, I see it here among you guys. But there's still something God's imparting to take it farther. Maybe some of you are doing it, but there's still reservation in your heart or there's there's a not full understanding. Or maybe you're outside and only visiting and you need to take this home or something. Or or if you don't even have access to where the Lord's calling you to a church yet, yeah, there's something in your heart to establish more deeply with the Lord. But the water baptism represents the initial covenant. You do not belong to yourself. Just as the Lord has ministered to this to me. Oh, it's six twenty three. Okay, we all right. We're okay. We'll end in prayer. We'll have enough time to to pray. I'm almost done. I'm almost done. Sorry. That's probably some reference to Romans 6.23. It's probably all... uh, um. Man, I mean, reading the Bible, I just see the joy of covenant now, like I didn't before. And anything I read, it's implied. It's David. It's Davidic. David understood covenant. I'm yours, you're mine. That's why I always go to you. Even when he says, he, or, or, or whatever, he, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High. That's covenant. I dwell in the secret place of the Most High. I'm not trying to keep it. To me, covenant is something beautiful. It's not I'm just legally trying to keep it. I feel so protected. I mean, some of my prayer times now, especially when it's really, really on my heart, I just feel the Lord's covenant love all around me. It's like, oh, I like this. We belong to one another. Man, it's it's like Janelle's... It's not just this legal thing. It's a heart love thing. And baptism in water is the first baptism that says, I'm dead to what I was. My association now is you, Lord. I belong to you. I'm yours and you're mine. And the Lord says, Wait till you experience all that I give you in covenant. Protection and the Spirit and provision and... The joy of our interaction, which is what Janelle was reading about, etc., etc. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. That's covenant. But who's thinking explicit? Who's thinking just the, the technicalities of covenant? We're just enjoying family like, like Alina. I mean, what, has she studied covenant. She doesn't have to. She's a child in devoted love. You know, any healthy family, even outside the Lord, there's a certain covenant bond. Do you have a disagreement? Well, he keeps, you know, my, my brother keeps taking my socks and throwing my Legos away. So I'm going to have to ask you to leave the family. You know, a normal family, I mean, forget dysfunctional right now, but a normal family, is like yeah, that, that, that doesn't happen. There's a bond there that is family, right? You just, it's natural. I better cling to dad's leg when he comes in because technically I'm in a covenant. That's what family is. Covenant is family. It's like, well, how do you do this? No, it's just, it's natural. It's a burst of joy and delight. That's covenant. That's what caused Jesus to say in the garden, if there's any other way, let it happen. But you're going to have to dictate if there's another way, because I'm in covenant with you. Not my will, but yours be done. There's a bond here I can't break. And I never will. Man. Man. Praise God. We should cultivate our covenant relationship with the Lord in joy. Which is what the presence of God does. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. And presence is covenant. The second baptism is we are baptized in the Holy Spirit. Shandai! That's experiential. That's the gift of power. It's the gift of presence. But we're baptized in the Spirit. We're immersed. So it's not just Shandai. We have covenant with the Holy Spirit. I mean, how much more covenant can you get when he's inside of you and you're inside of him? That's what covenant is. That's a declaration of covenant. When John says, I baptize you in water, I bring you into covenant with God through your own choice of repentance. He will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. When, when he grants you covenant with the Holy Spirit, you get transformed and you get Purified. That's his covenant with you, and now you have covenant with him. You're now what Paul calls in First Corinthians, spirit people. You know, there's spirit people who have the Spirit and they are alive, but they don't live in covenant with the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean you're always wondering, "What do you want, Holy Spirit? Do you have some obligation for me today? Well, I have to keep this deal." Gladstone said, "No, it's, it's joyful. He's sometimes he's so quiet, and he's he's not oppressive. He's liberating." But we still have an internal compulsion to live in the Spirit. It's covenant language when Paul tells the Galatians, walk in the Spirit. And you won't fulfill the desires of the flesh. If you have life in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. If you've entered into covenant with Him, then live out your life in covenant with Him. It's it's our holy and joyful and powerful obligation to live everything in the Spirit. This is why Jesus told the Samaritan woman, the Father is seeking people who will worship Him in Spirit and in truth because He's Spirit. Okay, what does that mean? That means if He's Spirit, you're in covenant with Him. So your worship should reflect that, be within that, instead of having covenant with God. But because we don't know how to worship Him in Spirit, we come over here and hype it up. And worship him outside of covenant spirit. And arrange some kind of a magnificent service with all the band. and We don't even bother with the Holy Spirit. We just want to make sure everybody's engaged. And if they won't engage, we'll just turn up the, the volume and they won't even know they're not engaged. And then we'll have the preacher and then everything is timed just right because we don't dare do things in the spirit. And yet they some of these folks, a lot of them, most of them, all of them, who knows? They have the spirit, but they don't worship in the spirit. Because there's a lack of covenant that they're keeping. So I encourage you, what what am I talking about? Just live in the Spirit. Pray in the Spirit. I would even give you the practical exhortation to, to, to ratchet up your prayer in other tongues. And go deeper into the glories of your covenant with the Holy Spirit in whom you've been immersed. And you know what the final baptism is, right Jeff? The third? I know you do the spirit baptizing us into the, the body there's covenant here uh 1 Corinthians 12:13 we all by one spirit i'm sorry but i'm not mean to pick on you i just you're my, you're my partner in this i was i was always i'm always thinking you're about to finish my sentences anyway because you're ahead you're ahead you know you know you know seriously We all, by one spirit, have been baptized into one body. Now, that's a generic thing in the sense that we all automatically become a body of Christ worldwide. But man, if there's not a public expression of it, how else are you going to have a body? Yes, I'm a member of the body, and so is some Christian in Nepal. By recognizing your covenant with one another, stop just attaining. Not that anyone here does. This is just a proclamation stop just attending and start being gay. And I mean, you guys are already faithful. You guys have. That's what I like to feel when I come here. But perhaps people need to hear this that I don't know. Or perhaps it just needs to be said to take a it And it's all clear. It's all clean. It's not weird. It's not manipulative. It's people giving space for one another to flourish. Not, what's the word? Not a press, with, um, like you Muzzle or confined into Those sorts of things. It's coming. It's love. When one's down, you have to pick them up. Man, that's awesome. That establishes the kingdom, because it means the Gospels at work so much as creating community, rather than just saving people. And then, in that context that the Spirit leads us to specific or general mission, that mission becomes a rallying that unifies us even more. And those are some practical things the Spirit will sometimes do to deepen the commitment. In other words, sometimes you just can't hear body talk. You need a rallying point. The one accordness. When one accord is used in Scripture, there's always some issue that's bringing people together in the kingdom. So, you know, if you just go by what I'm saying, like the Gladstone version, you can just try to have house churches more. But the Spirit is the one who will dictate all. The Spirit might say, okay, yeah, let's let's make these things more healthy. But I'm going to give you some things that are going to rally you together. Whether it's the Jerusalem Council, or it's some kind of outreach post. There's oftentimes mission activities that draw people together. And I believe the Spirit will give you those things. So just a few things to close here. I will call you to covenant to devoted love for one another as family on mission. I would encourage you to take serious consideration in prayer to where you're called and to whom you're called so that you can give yourself to those folks in balance with God's wisdom. I'm not saying become a cult and give up your, you know, anything you do on your own. I'm saying you know, cultivate family but do it with your whole heart. Not with any reservations and all and on' I'm just going to float. But that, that's not, that won't establish the kingdom in you or in us. Consider where you are called. Part of your heritage in the DNA, as an apostolic work in a group of churches, enables you to make a statement about biblical churches to the world, to establish God's kingdom in our city. You have heritage in revival. You have heritage in wonderful, spirit-filled ministry. things. You have heritage, and some of you with your families with deep faith. Others of you may not think you have any of that heritage. You do because others do, and you share in that. You have a lot of things going for you that God is going to tackle now all along. So I encourage you to consider to pray in the Spirit to see what this means for you and to establish your work so that God will establish his kingdom through us. Let's stand together. as is the way of the Lord in intercession, when He says something to us, like He was speaking to me through the night, when He says to me, establish it, the first thing that means for me is I say yes, and then I start saying, establish it to Him. <laughs> it's the only thing I can do. Because whatever He tells me to do, I need Him to do in need. And that's what keeps it a clean covenant, filled with the Spirit, not the flesh. Right? Part of the Galatian issue, no matter where you put the contest, Jeff, it was false covenant versus true covenant. It was covenant in the flesh versus covenant in the Spirit. That's more. That's that's one way of expressing the ultimate competition. So we don't even want to try to do this in the flesh. We want to start tonight by just saying, on our own volume, establish, it, establish. It. Can say it together or apart. Just start saying it. If you trail off into other prayers, that's fine. Yeah. Establish
1: yeah. it. Just keep doing it. Keep doing it. I have no doubt that every single person saying it means it. But as
0: you say it, as you say it, find a deeper place in your heart that means it even more than that with the grief you meant it a second ago. Establish Establish it. Establish. establish. More keep, keep saying it. Keep doing it your own way. Well, I'm going to pray. Hopefully it won't be too confusing, but I'm going to shoot some things out of you. Same that. Establish. 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 Lord, whatever the next stage of establishing establish. looks like here, do that. Establish it. We can't handle the whole thing at once. But whatever we get next, establish it. Establish Establish, establish. establish. Established. 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 Whatever the next phase is, Lord, established. Father, I pray for individuals. There might be some adjustment. Some of them, it's not even an adjustment. Some of you, God's just going to call you into something a little bit different. A new way of praying. A new understanding of the scripture that opens something up. Some of you, it's not something you're going to have to change. It's something God's going to joyfully pull you into. And that will be between you and Him as He establishes deeper in your life. So for you, I pray, Father, establish it. Establish it in Him. Establish it in her. And in this work, Lord, this work that plants and serves churches, we pray for the next stage. Establish it. Lord, spare us from trying to do too much too soon, or too little, too late. But in time, in season, and in wisdom measurement, establish it. Establish it. Praise God. Establish it. Establish it. Oh, that our meals be covenant meals. Jesus says, the next time I eat this meal with you, it will be in my kingdom. Lord, may these meals be more than just meals. May they be the kingdom in expression because it's established. We pray, God, that in the measure it's appropriate and in the manner it's appropriate for this era and this city. We pray that the holy city of Jerusalem come down out of heaven from God and be established on the earth in the midst of us. And Lord, though we're praying for things beyond us right now, We pray as we ask for you to establish it, that you will prepare our hearts. Give us grace. Give us strength to have the kingdom established in our lives. That's why Paul prayed for a move of the Spirit, so that Christ might dwell in our hearts. Praise God. Praise God. You could keep doing that. I'm going to to close by my part by reading Ephesians 3, uh, the, the last prayer to you and for you as a prayer because it is this issue we're praying for right now. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. That He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man. Lord, we're asking for a move of Your Spirit in our spirits to make us strong with Your power, make us strong with Your power, make us strong with Your power for the establishment of Your kingdom beyond what we have now. Which is what the next verse says, so that the King may dwell in your hearts through faith. And that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of the Messiah King which surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us to Him be the glory in the church and in Messiah Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Praise God. establish 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 it. Establish it. Establish it. Establish it. Establish it.